Good evening. That's a blessing. Thank you, Andrew. We've just been singing about the opportunities and we've heard a wonderful testimony of seizing. As you'll see on the back cover of the bulletin, Lord willing, hopefully it'll make sense tonight as we seize the opportunity we've just been hearing about sharing our faith and the testimony of the Lord and that's ex that's a good leading. I'm very blessed to have that and we are as we um we look at Jeremiah chapter 14 if we could tonight and uh you probably comes to mind you've probably heard of him being called the weeping prophet especially in the book of lamentations and uh, I might mention that again tonight because a big part of prayer that we see and that we'll look at tonight is that burden compassion for souls and uh, it's been a great challenge to me a great conviction to me and just hearing um, Andrew and what the Lord is doing there too is very exciting but let me read these 10 verses from Jeremiah 14, then I'll pray as we commit unto the Lord this message tonight. So Jeremiah 14, 1 to 10. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth or the drought. Judah mourneth, and the gates thereof languish. They are black unto the ground, and the cry of Jerusalem is gone up. And their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads because the ground is chapped or parched, for there was no rain in the earth. The ploughmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yea, the hind also carved in the field and forsook it because there was no grass. And the wild asses did stand in the high places. They snuffed up the wind like dragons. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against thee. O the hope of Israel, the saviour thereof in time of trouble. Why shouldst thou be as a stranger in the land and a wafering man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Why shouldst thou be as a man astonished, as a mighty man that cannot save? Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us, and we are called by thy name. Leave us not. Thus saith the Lord unto this people. Thus they have loved to wander. They have not refrained their feet. Therefore the Lord doth not accept them. He will now remember their iniquities and visit their sins. Let's pray to the Lord as he wrote the word and uh, as we seek his guidance. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for this time now. Lord, help us as we meet around your word as your spirit would guide and give us the understanding of this situation, of this um, dire strait that we see in the drought. And Lord, we know there's a spiritual drought in this country and in many countries in the world today. And, Father, it's very severe like this. And, Father, we pray that as we come now, it will be not just to hear about you, but it will be to see you, Lord, and and see your glory and greatness, To that we each would meet with you, Lord, through the preaching of the word today. Father, we pray as... Um, we look now, we pray 
you'll just help us and uh, I pray for your help very much so Lord and that as some do pray Lord hide me behind the cross I thank you for that prayer as we would just see Jesus and your goodness your glory and greatness and power your long suffering your mercies in Jesus name Amen Okay. Um, seize the opportunity. There is a saying, opportunity knocks but once. You've probably heard it. Um, and there's a, a bit of a saying, you can say opportunity knocks to signal that someone's chance to do something important is here right now. We know the scriptures even uh, say like in the New Testament, today is the day of salvation. Especially as we sung that last song, is your name written there? There is an opportunity that it can be tonight. What a wonderful, as Andrew just exhorted there, uh, with all concern for your soul. And as we know, that, like from Proverbs, the Old Testament, 21.1, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Uh, there's that worldly saying, I suppose, uh, tomorrow never comes. It never does, does it? You wake up and it's not. It's tomorrow's the next day, isn't it? Again, and so uh, lazy people would say, "Don't do today what you can always do tomorrow." Maybe you know, in that sort of a way, it's it's not godly. It's not honouring um, to Him in that way. And in now is like seek ye the Lord. And we read that in that passage just there that Andrew read in Zephaniah: "Seek the Lord in all meekness." Uh, now, so praise the Lord by His grace and will, and uh, He knocks more and more in His mercy. Sometimes some people have more than an opportunity; they have one or two. And like Pastor shared this morning, Revelation three, the church at Laodicea, the Lord, even after He was kicked out, you know, of the church, He kept knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock to let Him back in, because uh, they've kicked Him out as He as we heard this morning and were challenged by that. So uh, Proverbs talks about the opportunity. If we have the opportunity to do good, we need to do it if it's in our power. And so as we consider this, we're going to look at this passage and um, look at Jeremiah and a terrible drought plagues the land. The first six verses there. and We'll, we'll just go through them quickly and then we'll look at more of that outline which I'll just put there so I can follow through it too. I've got it here but it's right there in all one on your back of your bulletin. So verse, okay, um, definitely it's a good time to be able to picture the burning heat they're dealing with as we've just been dealing with too here in the summer uh, as we've been having 40 plus days and they're dying of thirst. There is no water, alright, from verse 3 for both people and animals and that's serious when you've got no water and that means you're going to have no food and so it's quite serious so what was Jerusalem as we read here in verse 2 what as Jeremiah has written what was the centre of their civilization, Jerusalem with all its amenities and benefits as you have in a town now is an isolated barren centre of Greece the, even the gates where all the nobles and everyone meets to commune and, 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 and socialise is black to the ground. It's just burnt. So the people are disappointed heavily. And that, that word um, there, as we see, 
they are heavily disappointed um, as we see the word ashamed and, and confounded. Um, it's a situation that's out of their control, basically. That's what it means in their shame. Uh, they have no control over it. They are confounded. Literally, they're insulted. They're, because of that, they're, they're, it's an insult to them that they have no control over the situation, so they're embarrassed. It's, um, it's, so it's not a, a shame of their sin. That's what we're getting to, at, as we'll see. Um, so verse 4, we go out of the town. So we're in the town and we go out into the country now, all right, a little bit. And what do we find also in verse 4? The same hopelessness. The ground is so hard and dry it is cracked up. The farmers cannot even plough to sow the seed for the vital necessity of the nation's food. And again, that same word, ashamed. It's, they, they can do nothing and, uh, in their own strength. So verse 5, the hind, the deer, forsook, to loosen, um, to relinquish, that is fail. That, that word loosen is the same, uh, that word forsook is like someone forsakes the Lord God in having known him. Like this calf of this deer uh, was a responsibility that was rightfully the, the deer's, but the eternal natural affection was forsaken just for their own survival, that they were going to die anyway, but they weren't going to be obviously new enough to be robbed of all its nutrient liquids to be nursed, to nurse their young. It, there is no grass, it is barren. And verse 6, as we get there, the wild asses did stand in the high places. They snuffed up the wind-like dragon. Snuffed. Looking up that word in the Hebrew, as I like to do these words, to inhale eagerly, like... And that's, like, also... It's in the same, it had to be angry. Like, when you someone gets angry, go there. They get puffed up. Um, a man starts huffing. They, they are devouring the air. They are very stressed. The animals are stressed. And what we realise because of man's rebellion and sin. And the word dragon, in the Hebrew, it means large marine or land monster, like a large fish, like a dolphin or a whale. And like, as you understand, they need to breathe. Whales can go underwater. They recorded for 90 minutes when diving for food, as they are looking for food. And then they come up and they, they need that. And just thinking as we're talking today, even about creation, how the way Jeremiah has written this, even in that peril, we see the goodness of God's creation using these words like, I don't want to get off the sidetrack here, but just how God made whales and dolphins and like even crocodiles can stay underwater for two hours, they've recorded. And it's all in the aid of that sudden surprise attack to get their food. God provides for their needs. So he makes their blood so it can, um, a chemical reaction that can hold the oxygen for a lot longer than we humans. And we can think of that marvel of, now, but when we think of the wild ass in this situation, um, they snuff, because like dogs, they pant. That's, they don't sweat as like humans do. In their paws they do, but they pant to breathe in the air to cool themselves down. Okay, and the wild ass can smell like their nose is very acute, smelling water for miles away, but they're not smelling anything in, at this point. 
And so here we have a very descriptive account, hopefully we can get, of a very serious famine that has been going on for some time. And so what we want to look at is two situations of responses to this um, drought, responding correctly or, or wrongly, like in seizing the opportunity. We can respond the right way or the wrong way. And their first one is brokenness. As one, as we look now at the life and ministry of um, Jeremiah, we know as an Old Testament prophet of God, he was, as we would read through the book, and I'll just mention uh, verses, but he was originally reluctant in chapter 1 to accept the responsibility of what was to be a very hard and thankless task. Uh, writers suggest he may have been around 20 years old, and that's in verse, uh, well, not his age, but a young man when God asked him. And uh, verse, well, chapter 1, just flick back, verse 5 and 6, with the... Before I formed thee in the belly, God, the Lord says to Jeremiah, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. And the Lord says, um, I'm going to send thee, and, you, and, and, you, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. And praise the Lord a young man, he, was, he obeyed. And we see in 9, the Lord put forth his hand and touched his mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. So praise the Lord that Jeremiah obeyed God. And we see through up to even here and throughout the book, he was bold before men, but he was broken, as we see in our first point, before God. And yet it was his brokenness that gave him his strength and glory to God. And we think of Psalms 8 too, um, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. And 1 Corinthians 1.27, but, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So we see the opposite to the world's natural man's thinking is the way God works and uh, in the meekness, which is power under control, we know. Jeremiah had what was it? Uh, in the next 40 years, roughly his ministry or so, um, trying to save Jerusalem from Babylon, pleading and warning them, as we know, of the impending judgment that God um, said he would bring on them if they ignored the continued warnings to turn from their wicked idolatry and their wicked immorality and corruption and everything they were doing and return to the one true God of heaven. But sadly, they grew harder and harder. And uh, what we see is Jeremiah, if you want to look at it, like, as a preacher, had no real converts in his ministry. And... Um, and some would consider this to be a great failure and have quit the ministry well before this time. And Jeremiah learned, praise the Lord, to wait on the Lord, which is a big part as we look at this man of um, intercessory prayer to God. A big part of that is waiting on the Lord, not so much just talking and, and pleading as he did often. 
Jeremiah learned his faithfulness would bring glory to God. That's what Andrew was just saying, that this, your prayers and the ministry and the work there and, would, and the word going out would bring glory to God. And Jeremiah learned the sorrowful compassion that the Lord Jesus Christ had also, as we read in the Gospels, for the multitude of the lost and dying. And we see that, verse 17 of this chapter, Therefore thou shalt say this word unto them, Let mine eyes run down with tears night and day, and let them not cease, for the virgin daughter of my people is broken with a great breach, with a very grievous blow. And back in 9.1, let's... I just... Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And we know Psalms 51, that great prayer of penitence, as it's called, repentance toward God by David. The sacrifices of God, Psalm 51.17, are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And uh, Hebrews 11.36. And others, as we read of the, as we would call the heroes of the faith, Jeremiah was described in there. And others had trial of cruel mockings. This is what happened to him. And scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds. And he was also put in imprisonment for warning them and telling them what they didn't want to hear. Psalms 19.7, the last part. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple... Like, would you think naturally, you know, having no results or success in uh, turning the people through his ministry, um, why would God put it in the word? But we have, like Andrew mentioning some dates here, over two and a half thousand years of the testimony to everyone who has read the whole canon of scripture. And, and see, even when the Lord Jesus said in the Gospels, who do they say I am? And they say, one John the Baptist and, oh, Jeremiah, as it says in the Greek, Jeremiah. Like, he was likened to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because I believe because of the weeping, the compassion, the, the sorrow that he had for the lost. And this is how God used him and for his glory. And so... Let's look at hardness, because this is the opposite of brokenness. And this is now looking at Judah, the people of Judah. As we've read this account in Jeremiah, it is about, okay, a hundred years since the northern kingdom was taken captive by the brutal hands of the Assyrians. Also, because of the pride of man, there's also right now at this time an internal intention between the world leaders of the time, Babylon, uh, Egypt and Assyria for world supremacy. And it's at this moment all that is left is really just Jerusalem. Judea has been, um, most of the southern kingdom there had been looted by the Babylonians already. And he had been warning them and like being able to just point, you know, just out a little bit because he said in verse 18, if I go into the field, then behold the slain with the sword. They're just lying out there and that's going to be you. If you don't turn, and if I ever enter into the city, then them that are sick with the famine, which we're reading now. He'd been warning them that they were next if they did not repent of their idolatry and wickedness. They ignored these warnings and they grew harder and harder. And that's the thing with the Bible. No one's stagnant, whether you're unsaved or saved. You've got to be moving forward and that you can only move forward as 
a believer in the Lord. Otherwise, you're only like they were called backsliders. But um, God was withholding the life-giving rains, we know, and was keeping his covenant promise. This is, this is a quote. God was withholding the life-giving rains and was keeping his covenant promise to Israel. And it's a serious thing to enter into a covenant relationship with God because he will always keep his word, either to bless or to chasten. If we are the recipients of his love, then we can expect to be the recipients of his chastening. If we disobey him, God is always faithful, end of quote. Wicked world leaders, as we see here and today, God is using them to accomplish his will. As we consider the man that is known as the weeping prophet, prayerfully interceding for the wicked sins of his nation, even after God tells him to stop in verse 11, pray not for this people. Um, I've been reading a book, or I have read a book of revival praying. It's one of the pastor's book. He probably doesn't know I borrowed it. Out of the <laughs> revival praying. Um, an American, but this was based in 1962, Revival Praying. There's a quote, Sinned as we have as a nation, and we can put ourselves Australia into this, yet to our sin we have added pride in our sinning. The world has lost the power to blush over its vice. The church has lost her power to weep over it. This is why I've been convicted by... Not, we have this model prayer of Jeremiah and we have other model prayers. And every one, they call us, they call not only themselves but their whole town and to, to weep and mourn over sin. And so here we have the supplication in our second point, verse 7 to 9. This is the people crying out. Now on a first read you'd probably think, wow, they're repenting. They're, they're crying out to the Lord. What we see, um, we see the people cry out for mercy, yes, wanting to know the reason for their suffering. Prayer to God at this time, sadly, was their only and last resort. They cry out to the Lord as though his own integrity is at stake because of their condition, and we see that. Um, let's look at verse 7. O Lord, thy iniquities testify against us. Do thou it for thy name's sake, thy name's sake as if the name brand of the product is at stake. It's like a, you know, protest of disgruntled employees out the front gate, protesting to the general manager or the CEO about their current work conditions and pay. Even though they know they don't really follow the company rules or procedures or policies, they expect all the benefits. Verse 8, the people slight, insult the Lord now, Oh, the hope of Israel, the saviour thereof in time of trouble. Why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land? A stranger? The Lord, they're sliding the people for neglect, they're sliding the Lord for neglecting his responsibilities. They call him a stranger. That's a foreigner, a tourist from another country that is here to have a look only. And a wafering man, like there we see. Tra that's referring in the Hebrew, I'm just looking up in the Strong's, a traveller man. Not really, someone, you know, you're not really at home much. You don't know what's really going on. Um, astonished, there in verse 9. Confused, like 
why you seem confused, Lord, like surprised at um, that. Of uh, what this reminded me of is the Lord Jesus when he was tempted in of the devil in the wilderness, because um, and we know two times that the devil said to the Lord, "If thou be the Son of God, like." you know, command these stones to be made to bread and um, and and so on. And here they're saying, if thou be the son of God, you need to do something, you know. And let's consider this attitude throughout history, like toward, the, toward God. In 1965, there was a great plague, a horrible, agonising killer, the Black Death. It recorded 68,596, basically 100,000 people, they reckon, died because a lot didn't get recorded. No one knew what was causing it at the time, but incubation, they worked out, took four to six days. And when the plague appeared in the household, the house was sealed. They sealed the doors and windows quickly. And then, you know what they did? That condemned the whole family to death. And these houses were distinguished. What they did was by painting a red cross on the door and literally, I was amazed, they had the words, Lord, have mercy on us. Um, and we know that many of these doors never knew what that symbol meant, that cross, as we do as Christians. And we said today, as I remember Glenn Weeks when he's preaching, not this, but the second last time, how there's so many crosses where someone has died on the road, where there's been a road accident. And he, I remember he fired up, how it's too late by that stage. It needs to be, why are you still living? To understand, as we just heard, as the scriptures saith, the Lord Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he was buried and rose again. Um, and believing that by faith. And so, and then it was said, Spurgeon actually said this, when the cholera rages, they go to church. And, uh, you know, this happened even more recently as we try and emphasise this. 9-11, there was reported, reported a spike in church attendance, but only briefly. American houses of worship increased. Seeking, the people were seeking refuge, community, and a place to grieve. Maybe to blame the Lord. Why did you let this happen? Maybe you can imagine. And this only lasted a few weeks. And I was thinking, if this happened today, like like even Andrew was just sharing today, notice just the increased wickedness since she was in Australia last time. Just even just by, you know, with the people, the way they're going back to the jungle look with the ears and the tattoos. And, and we, even we're noticing that. We mustn't... Be, um, I've just been challenged myself. We just need to, like, not a, just let it s slip by as it's, it's, we've got to be um, contending for what the Lord has, what he wanted Israel or Judah to do for, for his um, promise and truth and covenant. So God's way. So um, God's, so we've just, the supplication, God, I bet God's will. I haven't gone there yet, have I? Covered? No, that's where I'm at the top. God's will. The contrite cries of the heart um, we have here is what 
is for an obedient people. See, God is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. Because when we think about it, we have millions of millenniums in which to be happy. And I've just realised I didn't finish that illustration too. That's um, with If that happened today, a tragedy like 9-11 or the, the plague, which could happen again, and we know there's going to be plagues in the tribulation, um, people are going to be hardened. And it's just gotten harder and harder, much more like... And we're just thinking, how hard was it in the days of Noah, you know, of Sodom and Gomorrah? But do you know the Lord even says that... that I, I saw in here that this their, their attitude is worse than Israel right now at this time. And Israel, they didn't have one righteous king. They, they went 100 years earlier for, for their great wickedness. And then... But... We have millions of millenniums in which to be happy. Like I was talking about the Lord is more concerned about our holiness. Yes, we can be blessed if we obey him and submit to him. So in heaven, we, we look forward to that. That is what a mercy it is that God does heal, hear real prayer. Um, even if it's presented to him only because we are in distress or, you know, what we see, all God required from his people in his final effort through Jeremiah to save Jerusalem was to turn from their sin and return to the Lord in their hearts from their depravity. The biggest issue was a heart issue here. Jeremiah is a great model, thank it's a blessing of intercessory prayer. He had faith which was moved by the love which seeketh not her own. You might remember that from Corinthians 13. He had a faith that longs for an overthrow of the power of darkness. Second Peter 3, 9, the last part there. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This was the heart desire of Jeremiah. Judah had many opportunities to escape the great danger of God's judgment. A wonderful reality for us today is that, as we mentioned about the, is your name written there in the Lamb's Book of Life, the same creator God can rescue us from the dangers that, you know, from anger, bitterness, despair and hopelessness and fear or anxiety as a non-believer and as a believer. As we, as we are prone to wander as believers, but we'll we'll be sharing the gospel message again a, a bit later, as Andrew did already. God's way, God's will, God's way is being humble. Um, without Him, we know we can do nothing. The Scriptures tell us is not doing the right thing. Uh, God's way is not doing the right thing in a wrong way. We've been challenged by that in in our Monday night classes. Um, it's doing the right thing God's way. And Acts chapter 1. Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, as you read there, it was witnessed by his disciples. Eleven defeated men, we then see, they go into the upper room. They humbled themselves before God and prayed. Now, In our Lord's darkest hour at his crucifixion, 
trial and crucifixion, they had fled and they had denied their Lord and Master. And so we have them now, defeated men, in the upper room, praying, as we read in verse 14 of chapter 1 of Acts. And there it says, prayer and supplication. That prayer would have been of praise for who God is and what he had just done, his power and glory, defeating sin, death and hell. But not just giving thanksgiving, but repenting, humbly confessing their unbelief, their sins. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, God was able then, through their meekness, through their brokenness, through their humility, God's way, they were able to, with the Holy Spirit in them, was able to do with these men, they were able to turn the known world upside down. Ordinary men. They went forth weeping, bearing precious seed, as we know from Psalms 126.6. I just want to turn to Revelation chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. It's talking about an angel, a special angel here in heaven, came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hands. And... A writer put it once, the prayer records of all the saints stack the vaults of heaven. All the prayers of the New Testament saints, as we read here, those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ while they were here on earth, all those who have prayed to the Father through the Son, since the Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray, God, people have been praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And now we see at this point, the prayer is about to be answered because we're right in the middle of judgment. We're in the first half of the tribulation as we read from Acts chap- um, Revelation here, chapter 8, verse 1. The first half of the tribulation still we're in and but we see um, God's judgment of sin in this world by his right... He's going to judge the world by his righteousness and... 8.2, we see the trumpet judgments are about to begin. And so, verse 4, or 3 and 4, the incense and prayers of God's people are involved in the judgment that he sends, clearing the way, as we know, for Christ's return to earth as he establishes his kingdom after the tribulation. And so as we consider that, praying as we Lord taught his disciples to pray and as we pray for um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth, not in heaven, on earth, because um, that God's will will be done God's way. And, you know, some of us mature a lot later in life uh, spiritually, like I would say myself. Like, And I look at my life now because I'll try and explain... I have about 25 years where um, I can realise the opportunity, like as we hear the word and see the seriousness and the greater need in these days as we see the day approaching of our Lord, that the sacrifice self to prayer and our witnessing um, to the obedience of God's will. And so 
just considering prayer and intercession and what we've looked at briefly, we need and we see many of the Old Testament models of prayer, the principles, you know, that are that we can glean as New Testament saints. We can we can see that um, they had true power in their selfless intercession for others and and their nation for God's glory. And we think of Nehemiah chapter one. We think of Daniel nine and and when they realised God's purpose and plan for the nation in rebuilding the wall in Nehemiah and Daniel um, leading the children of Israel at the end of their 70 years of captivity. And, and there's others throughout there in, in, in looking for victory. And, and David in his prayers of praise and thanksgiving to who God is and what he has done for us. And even though he wasn't going to rebuild the temple, but God gave him all the provisions to prepare and have ready for his son as God chose Solomon to do that. And uh, and then we see the principles, as I've just been mentioning, of fasting, of weeping and mourning. O Lord, have mercy on me, I wrote. Uh, as I was considering these thoughts, and forgive me for my dry eyes for the lost and dying. And this, um, I pray, becomes a burden and a desire that, because um, we can learn a lot about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and we know the Lord Jesus wept. We know that um, even Paul wept over the city for them. His intercession for what um, was left of of Jerusalem was hard work and when we consider there's a beautiful illustration I adapted it to locally no one takes a running jump and in one leap lands on the top of Mount Bogon but gets there by a patient toil so it is with prayer and um, and as the Lord we looked at already in verse 9 of chapter 1 touched the mouth of Jeremiah and put his words in his mouth May our prayer in the spirit we pray be, as we see in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And so we see uh, the supplication here, there, and we've been looking um, in through the eyeglasses of Jeremiah, if we could say, not the people of the nation. And so... The sinfulness, as we look at point three there, in the last verse 10, Thus saith the Lord unto this people, They have loved to wander, they have not refrained their feet. Therefore the Lord doth not accept them. He will now remember their iniquities and visit their sins. Um, God explains that their sins had brought about the suffering. And we know that right from the Garden of Eden, when man first sinned, brought suffering into the world. And the sin brought suffering, as we see at the Exodus, and when it was uh, the true ramifications were explained there in the books of Moses of the law. And Romans 1, as we heard this morning, God gave them over um, to their reprobateness of just continuing in that wickedness. And so there was no basis here we see at all for true repentance. God knew that. Jeremiah saw that, even though he kept pleading after verse 11, in about a nine or ten point dialogue with the Lord, he was um, just, you know, have mercy, but it was enough was enough. There was, there's no keeping of God's covenant promises, as as I mentioned before. God is long-suffering, as we see there. We are 
to abstain, as we're told in Thessalonians, to abstain from all appearance of evil. And it's just good to talk with brethren and let our conversation be as it becomes the gospel, like just with Andrew today, just and just with that thought, just our conversation because um, and what others say in the world and how long we allow ourselves to be around that appearance of evil, like we're going to come into contact, we've got the choice of how long we stay or contend for the faith in defending what is being said if we pray for that boldness. Um, especially the blasphemy, like tattooing. Blasphemy is just rife. And um, it's it's one that I can confess that the Lord's given me enough boldness to... Because it says in the commandments, God will not hold anyone guiltless who takes his name in vain. And we've got young children just taking it like a normal conversation today. Um, and so we just consider his long-suffering that they would realize the seriousness and and God's judgment on that and so they look the people here as we're looking in this lived by the lust of the flesh immorality as we see you just see a brief breakdown in chapter 5 but it's he keeps pointing it out and this is why they hated him and this is why they persecuted him this is why they threw him in prison they didn't like being having this pointed out their sins lured by the lust of the eyes indulgences lured by the pride of life their corruption in government and, and idols uh, that they worshipped and just did not get rid of and had even had in the temple. It was just blasphemy, abomination to God. And Jeremiah names and shames that. And there is a message of hope, though, in that as we consider God's long-suffering of hope and restoration. Um, there, Yes, there was many calls to repentance and they did not. They hearkened. At all, but they intensified their sin, like the world we're seeing is just doing today, and it's just becoming so intense. God waited patiently, and you know they could have been spared from the brutal invasion of judgment from Babylon back earlier if they had have turned and returned to the Lord, but they didn't. But God used it in working out His great plan for salvation and. Um, consummation in that they will have um, restoration after the tribulation. And uh, and uh, so it points to that, but I'm not going to look at detail. The opportunity, as time is short, is now, as we consider as believers, the judgment seat of Christ as believers. Have we not been ambitious, zealous, aflame to tread down Satan's domain? And I, when I'm saying, I'm saying it to my heart, the Lord has been impressing. In the triumphant power of the risen Son of God, are we making God sick? And just going back to Revelation 3, the Laodicean church, it talks a little bit earlier before the knocking about you are neither cold nor hot. You just I'll spew you out of my mouth. Like just are we making God sick that we have failed so much and have been satisfied so long? It's think about it. It's with the status quo of comfortable Christian living. And it's just forced on us in this country because of the, the, the privileges and, and the technology and um, the availability of, of what we have. And God can use it if we um, are meek and, and, and humble. And, but we've got, it, it just brings a lot of areas of where we need to confess and repent to God. Um, 
so that we will not be ashamed of his coming. And that should really cause us to examine and, 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 and look at the urgency of this. And see, Satan is waging a relentless, relentless warfare against the souls of men. We're aware of this great battle. And idolatry has desensitized the nation. You know, it's just forgotten the law of God, literally. Their worship to God. Their morality is just wicked and the whole heart has been affected. And, and another great concern to God was their testimony that they were meant to have to other nations. They were meant to be the light to the rest of the world, at this, but they weren't. And, the, and we think today the world, rock music, the filthiness of Hollywood has desensitised doctrine in our churches, morality, dress, loose living, zeal for lost souls. And, you know, the opportunity now is for restoration. And it is promised. And, but with rejecting it, they had to go through the captivity and also they have to go through the tribulation before that final restoration of the land of well of, of, of the people. And and we are to seek ye the Lord today. Um and but the worst thing there's like those generations were lost and in hell that rejected. And that's the worst thing. Um Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. All right? And uh, God must judge sin, our last point there. In the scripture, God's holiness is described as a beautiful thing, the beauty of his holiness. And it cannot, we see, be tarnished in any way by any form of compromise, praise the Lord, because this is what his attributes are based upon, you know, his power, his all-knowingness, his, his love and mercy. And, but God does not want anyone to go to hell as Andrew has shared that and as the pastor has preached that and everyone that preaches on this pulpit as they warn the only thing we can do to be saved from his wrath on judgment day is again to repent that is to turn from sin that sin that grieves God and he wants us to return, that is to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. As we understand, he suffered and died on the cross, completely paying our, our debt, our fine, through his own life's blood. And as we just conclude this, let us take hold of this opportunity seized for positive biblical change. From being um, rescued from the danger of not being fruitful, for our good and his glory to show how good God is. So we, like Jeremiah, can develop the mind of Christ. We can have a witness to the world. Jeremiah's compassion for the world. Jeremiah's cross, that is his service, taking up our cross and following Jesus. His suffering, his sacrifice he made. And Jeremiah's cry, weeping for the lost. Amen.